Let's pray. Loving God, help us to understand the scriptures that we hear, and in understanding them, help us to put them into practice in our lives, so that we may build up the body of Christ and give you glory. Amen. Well, thank you to Reverend Kieran and Reverend Jacob and uh, for inviting me this morning. Uh, it's a joy to be here at St. Philip's, and thank you for Cherie. Uh, I'm not sure where Cherie is. I think she's here somewhere. But thank you for putting us... She's not here. She put me on the straight and narrow. So that was good. Um, you'll need to have, please, um, the, uh, a Bible. I think it's page 805 for Matthew chapter 24. Um, or you need to have a good memory. If you can remember the reading that we've just heard. Um, Yesterday, I was coming back from swimming, uh, listening to the ABC radio 726WF at quarter to eight, and every Saturday morning, they have a religious segment. Um, And yesterday, as part of the start of Harmony Week, um, they interviewed uh, a Sudanese man, now well settled in Perth, a man called Yuat Alak. Yuat was born in Sudan, but as a young boy, um, with thousands of other boys who are known in history as the lost boys of the Sudan, he had to flee his country as it descended into civil war. And he spent some time in uh, Africa's largest refugee camp, the Kakuma refugee camp in the south, to the south of Sudan in Kenya. He reminded his listeners that the war in the Sudan was the longest civil war in African history, running from 1983 to 2005. And he described living through that period like this. It was a time of fear, lawlessness, disease, famine, torture, persecution, and murder. And then I opened Matthew 24. And I thought, it sounds frighteningly like parts of the reading we've just heard. Scary, yet hopeful. For nothing that Jesus ever says is without hope. So I'm going to take this very matter-of-factly. I'm going to give a quick overview of Matthew 24 and 25. And then I'm going to go through, not quite verse by verse, but almost... Matthew 24 and 25 are to be read together. They form the fifth and last teaching segment by Jesus as recorded by Matthew. The previous chapter, Matthew 23, has been, um, I think if I was being diplomatic, public teaching, but if I was being less diplomatic, a flaming row between the scribes and Pharisees and Jesus in which Jesus has, in seven excoriating woes, begun his teaching, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. This teaching, in 24 and 25, is private teaching between Jesus and his disciples. And I don't know about you, but I, when I read what I know as Jesus' words to his disciples, take them to be words to myself. I see it as Jesus speaking to me. 
The subject matter is twofold, and I'll give the context for that in a moment. Firstly, when will the temple in Jerusalem be destroyed? And secondly, what sign will be uh, that Jesus, who's referred to as the Son of Man, will come in glory at the end of the age? And the theme that runs through both answers to these questions is a theme of judgment. And Jesus is trying to prepare his followers uh, for both. So that's a general overview. Now let's go into it a bit more precisely. I'm not going to do every single verse of the 31 uh, verses we've listened to, um, but I will do some of them. So the chapter opens in verse uh, 24 with Jesus leaving the temple where he's just been in verbal conflict with the scribes and Pharisees with the disciples, and they're heading out. You know when you've had a row with someone, all you want to do is just get out, go to somewhere quiet. And they head off up to the Mount of Olives, and as a kind of parting shot, Jesus says in verse 2, you see all of these, and the all of these is the buildings around the temple, and including the temple itself. Truly, I tell you, not one stone will be left here upon another. All will be thrown down. It's not surprising that the disciples are quite shaken by these words. And they ask in reply to this statement two questions in verse 4. Tell us, sorry, verse 3. Tell us, when will this be? And Jesus' answer to when will this be runs from verse 4 down to 14. You'll see the end of verse 14 says, and then the end will come. So that's the answer to the first part of his question. When will the temple be destroyed? He gives the answer, and then the end will come. The second question is, um, what, in verse 3, what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And in answer to that, you see in verse 15, it begins with the words, so when? That's the beginning of the answer to the second question. I hope you're with me. I'm sorry I'm jumping around a bit. Is that okay? All right? Good day. So, um, Please note that these are two very different questions with two very different timelines. No doubt the disciples were asking what we might call a chronological question. Heck, the temple's going to be destroyed. What, next week? You know, next month? Next year? And Jesus gives what we would call in theology a, a kairos answer. So they say, what is the time that this is going to happen? And he says, this is God's timing. Critical difference to know in Scripture, because it happens all the time. Jesus very seldom gives a direct, specific answer um, when he's asked in this context. So the first question, the 4 to 14, is about when when is the temple going to be destroyed? And the second question is... Basically, when are you coming back in glory, and what's it going to look like? And that's the second half of our reading. 
What I'm going to do this morning um, is to concentrate on four pieces of advice that Jesus gives to his disciples in this reading. And the first comes in verse 4. Jesus answered them, so the two questions have been asked, and he says, Beware that no one leads you astray. And why? Because he says, People are going to be popping up all over the place saying they're me, and they're not. They're going to say, I'm the Messiah, I'm the one you need to be, and they're not. Forget it. I am the one. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. End of story. And this is a question, and sorry, this is a statement about deception. Because deception Behind deception, as in all deceptions, is the devil, described in Scripture as the father of lies. And all that Jesus says um, in the next verses is, in a sense, a warning to us, because he says, many will be led astray. So my question to us, how do we stop ourselves being deceived? Well, I'm sorry to sort of go charging off to another piece of scripture, but it's quite useful. And um, I think that Romans 12, verse 2, can be an answer. I'll read it. I mean, you're welcome to look it up, but I'll read it to you. Do not be conformed to this world, and that's what Jesus is talking about here in Matthew. It's the world. But be transformed by the renewing of your minds, and this is the critical part, so that you may discern the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Yesterday, um, we had a big meeting in two parishes that came together, and um, we were looking at a, a future that might mean the two parishes worked and, as it were, lived together. And Alan Tranter, who you all know very well, and who's been a good friend Uh, to me over the last six years came and ran the consultation and I was caught up in something else and arrived uh, late to the meeting and uh, Alan and I talked about uh, the meeting beforehand and uh, when I walked into the room uh, someone was saying we don't want to change we are quite happy as we are and I talked about (laughs) to Alan, I thought, don't look at Alan, don't, because we'll laugh. Um, But this is often a thing that happens in churches, and it happens everywhere, that we say at 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 a point that God brings us where we have to change, for example, an interregnum, where senior minister leaves, and you're discerning for a new person, we don't want to change. And these people had said to me, but we want um, to be, uh, you know, we want to have a big youth group. They don't have any youth group. The youngest is 60. Um, And they said, but we want this as well, and we want something else, and we want this and want this. And I said, you're saying you want success, and you're also telling me you don't want to change. And you are deluded in both counts. Change is part of actually the human condition. Get over it. And success is an idol. 
you are not allowed to use that language in this house of God. Discerning what is the will of God. Coming before God, stripped of our pretensions, stripped of our idolatry, and saying to him humbly, Lord, this is your church. We are your people. Lead us on. For without your breath, as that beautiful song said, without your breath in our bodies, we die. So as Jacob said after the 9.30 service, the parish council is going to meet and discuss what the future of this uh, parish might look like after Malcolm's long and creative and inspiring leadership. And then that will also, um, some weeks later, be uh, part of a parish consultation. Both are about the same thing, my friends, discerning the will of God. Um, The name J.B. Phillips may be known to some of you, um, maybe not to others. Uh, He was the sort of 1960s version of Eugene Peterson. Uh, He was a great translator of the uh, New Testament in particular. And he put that that, um, Romans 12, uh, don't let the world around you squeeze you into its own mold, but let God remold your minds from within. That's what Jesus is saying to the disciples. Beware no one leads you astray. That's the first piece of advice. Verse 6. And you will hear, and this is quite a well-known statement, you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. The United Nations a few years ago, (laughs) I laugh with sort of um, wryly, really. The United Nations a few years ago published a document in which it recorded all the wars across the globe. I think it was about 2018, 2019. And uh, one of the comments made was that there are more wars that have occurred since 1945, the end of the Second World War, than the previous 300 years. And I, was, I pulled my car up earlier today, and Helen from the first service and I sort of got out almost simultaneously from our cars, and we were talking about this reading. And she said, you know, what Jesus is saying is really for, for all times, and of course it is. But let's uh, go a bit deeper. So Jesus says, and you will hear of wars and rumors of wars, and this is the second piece of advice, see that you are not alarmed. And I believe that this is addressing panic. Now, I don't think Sir Phillips is going to go sort of plunging into panic. But panic is always there on the outskirts of any society. And boy, have we seen it in the last 18 months nonsense about toilet rolls but more seriously more seriously panic about uh, the delivery of vaccine the Sudanese man I listened uh, to on the radio yesterday Yuat Alak spoke of the fear he felt as he and many hundreds of boys had fled the Sudan as we lay down at night he said sometimes under a bush sometimes in the open scrub I never knew if I would be attacked by wild animals like lions and hyenas or those who were searching to kill me. He spoke of his father beautifully, I thought, 
a man who preferred the power of the pen to the power of the gun. And finally, as a family, they made it to what seemed to be the safety of the Kakuma refugee camp in Kenya and stayed there until staff came to his father and warned that he was in danger again because those who had the power of the sword resented the man with the power of the pen. And so they had to move. And he said, at one point in my life, it seemed as if I was in constant motion. But throughout, they held together, supported each other, looked out for one another. And it seemed to me that the calling of the Christian community is in our life together, which is why coming together for Sunday worship or worship at any time is so important. And at the heart of our life is the life in Christ. If I was to be asked what my favorite verses in uh, the New Testament are, um, I would probably pick among them Romans 1.16, uh, which uh, you will know, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation to everyone who has faith, to the Jew first and to the Greek. It is in that, brothers and sisters, that our unity and our strength is So that's the second piece of advice. So we had the first piece, which was beware no one leads you astray. The second was see that you are not alarmed. And now we come to the the third piece of advice. But have a look at verses 9 to 14 that Graham read. I find them truly terrifying. Because Jesus is being very clear to his listeners, the disciples, that they will be tortured. They will be put to death. We will be hated by everyone because of the name of Jesus. Many will fall away. People will betray one another and hate each other. It's a chilling picture, and just when you think it can't get any worse, the third piece of advice comes in verse 13. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Just take a step back from St. Philip's and, and local things and ask, I suspect you've come across this, uh, about four years ago, uh, this magazine lobbed into my um, letterbox. It's called Barnabas Aid. Some of you may have come across it, some of you may not have done. It is basically a two-monthly um, uh, sort of um, documentary of Christians in persecution across the world. It comes with a prayer diary, um, and uh, I have 22 traffic lights between my home and my work, and when I'm 600 cars behind the red light, and we're all stationary, I sometimes get out the booklet and use it. It's quite useful. Um, But the important thing about Barnabas Aid is that it tells you what it's like now for Christians. It'll tell you why I will never take a holiday in the Maldives, ever. It will tell you why Christians in rural Pakistan, Christians in places that I don't know where they are, I can't pronounce their names, like Tajikistan and Uzbekistan and other Kyrgyzstan, why Christians are in persecution there. And it tells you how to pray for them. 
and it provides a booklet called Praying for the Persecuted Church, which is a country every day of the month. They don't seem to want money. Um, no, sorry. <laughs> they don't seem to charge for the magazine, but of course, uh, if you want to give a subscription, they're very grateful. But I do recommend you read it. I'm going to read you a little bit. I can't read you some of this stuff, uh, not in public. Uh, you need to read it uh, yourself. This is a few weeks ago. A Christian was forced to sit curled inside a tiny steel cage, measuring four feet long by three feet high. Its bars were heated by an electric current. Uh, that wasn't to keep the person warm. One Christian said, usually prisoners lasted only three to four hours. I sat there for 12 hours and prayed. I kept praying for God to save me. The one who endures to the end, Jesus, will be saved, and the good news of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the world. So they're fairly bleak pieces of advice, but they're important, and in their own way, they're encouraging. And this is, ends the first part of the reading. Beware no one leads you astray. See that you are not alarmed. The one who endures to the end will be saved. Let's go to verse 15, where we come into the second half of today's reading. And some rather strange comments that seem to refer to things, but we're not quite sure what. So when you see the desolating sacrilege standing in the holy place, as was spoken by the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand, in parenthesis, then those in Judea must flee. So a brief historical interlude now. Uh, the book of Daniel, uh, chapters 9 to 12, used the words, the desolating sacrilege. And Daniel is prophesying, not only of his own day, but of the future, that people will try and desecrate the temple in Jerusalem and desecrate the Jewish faith, the belief in one God, the holy God, as the um, hymn we had at the start said. And things had happened over years. During the time of the Maccabees, they sacrificed, uh, the uh, pagans deliberately sacrificed a pig on the altar of the Temple of Jerusalem. It was designed to destroy hope, and it was designed to offend and it resulted in the Maccabean War, which the Jewish people eventually won. In the Roman times, things were different. The Roman uh, legions put their um, standards in the sanctuary, as it were, which was anything that was not, you know, anything brought into the sanctuary of the temple, except what was already there, uh, which was the covenant, uh, was considered Desecration, and one of the emperors even rode his horse into the temple. So these were things that were calculated to inflame what was already a difficult province to rule. And in AD 66, the Jews rose up, and after four years, the Romans wiped them out. They crucified 3,000 Jews along the Appian Way. They Jesus' words were fulfilled. The temple, there was not one stone left upon another. Okay, so that's them. And we're not being told we must flee here in St. Philip's. So what's all this about for us today? 
Firstly, it's an acknowledgement that we do suffer from time to time, although in a much smaller way, to parishes I ministered to. Um, some years ago, we came one Sunday morning to find blasphemous and large um, spray painting across the outside of the walls. And I've got a parish in the wheat belt that has a serial rock thrower um, going. doesn't make a lot of difference because the class is reinforced. I suppose it gives the rock thrower some kind of catharsis. I don't know. Um, anyhow, he's been, um, we've dealt with that. But sometimes we get a little bit of this flack, but not much, nothing as they had to place. What's Jesus saying here? Verse 22 is a very sobering line. If those days had not been cut short, no one would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. The fourth piece of advice comes in verse 25. Take note, I have told you beforehand. When I was at uni, one of my friends was who was Jewish, invited me to a Sabbath meal one Friday night. We went to the synagogue, uh, the university synagogue, and then we uh, had the Sabbath meal. And he said to me, oh, by the way, I, uh, there's a guest speaker, someone from another university is coming to talk about being a Jew in the 20th century. Um, you're welcome to stay. And I did. And I remember to this day that person saying, for Jews, the word that we should always remember is the word remember. If Jewish people forget their identity, their history, and what has happened to them, they will forget who they are. And I remember walking away that night and thinking, hmm, that's a good word for Christians to have. We need to remember too. Jesus is saying here, don't forget. Whether he's foretelling the destruction of the temple or speaking of his own second coming, the truths remain the same, that we are saved by grace and grace alone. It doesn't matter if we've been coming to St. Philip's a week or 50 years. We are all saved by the same grace. It is the cost of Christ on the cross for us. And it is the fact that the cross behind me is empty that is the sign of our hope. We believe in Christ crucified, Christ resurrected. We believe in the power of the Holy Spirit to guide and help us discern the will of God. Do not forget, brothers and sisters, in a world in which particularly, I suspect, in our society, it is very easy to be distracted we are easily distracted about lots of things, whatever they might be. Our first love must always be Christ, for in him we are redeemed, in him we are made whole, and most importantly, in him all things hold together. The Lord be with you.